Hi, I'm Grant Wall, and welcome to the Planet Football Podcast. Happy New Year to everyone. Today, SI's Brian Strauss joins me to talk about the year ahead, World Cup 2018, who will be the next U.S. men's national team coach, the wild U.S. soccer presidential election, and our thoughts on the end-of-the-year campaign story that we did on Sunil Gulati, Don Garber, Kathy Carter, and the legendary Sal Rapaglia. We also talk about Brian's desire to ride with goats on a Russian third-class train this summer to Nizhny Novgorod. Onward! Let's bring in Brian Strauss here on, we're recording this January 1st, New Year's Day 2018. Happy New Year, Brian! Uh, you're two for three. <laughs> Back at you, hoping that you are batting a thousand. That. <laughs> but, but I am, I am batting. I don't know what. I'm batting six, six, six. There. How's that for metaphorical? I will take that to mean that uh, the happy is a little bit in dispute for you. Uh, sorry to hear that, but I do wonder. It's nice to connect with you. Any New Year's resolutions for 2018? I could uh, I could probably spend the rest of the podcast listing things I should do. That's a good question. Yeah, no, I, I got nothing. I got nothing. <laughs> You're creative. Um, maybe I'll try to leave my apartment and talk to someone and try not to get tased. That, that's my that's my resolution. My resolution this year, and I've actually been really good over the last year about exercising. So it has nothing to do with that except keep doing it. Um, good. Which is good. I'm I'm really working on my Spanish this last few months and and trying to get it better. I don't know if you've had a, a chance to be one of the ten people to see Planet Football on SITV um, <laughs> with me and Luis Echegaray, but we're having a great time doing it. I do suggest everyone take a look at it because we have some really good guests and all that. But one thing that's been really fun about it is getting a chance to use Spanish more often because we've actually done some half Spanish, half English interviews of people with subtitles uh, that come out. And then uh, I had one parting shot at the end. We do a kind of verbal column at the end of each show. And I did it half in Spanish and half in English. And one thing I've noticed, which I find interesting, is whenever I go on Univision, which I did again recently, or... Anytime I'm speaking Spanish publicly, the response on Twitter is wholly 100% positive. Whereas if I go on English language TV, just by definition, the response is always going to be some like negative comment about my voice or my appearance or whatever, because that's TV, not because of me. Why is that, Brian? I don't know. But but you know how people talk about, you know, there's this... Uh... You know, maybe one day we'll find the the clean renewable energy source, right? <laughs> you know, we'll we'll split some kind of particle or collide something with another thing, and it will produce uh, the 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 elemental reaction that will solve the world's energy problems. And it's this like this incredibly complex, um, you know, formula or problem that we're trying to solve, and maybe someday we'll get there. Well, well. What you have just described, you've just described something that meets with nothing but positive reaction on social media. Like that's impossible. <laughs> it's like right? cold fusion has been achieved. Right. You have found you have found the most elusive thing in the universe, um, which is something that's not met with an immediate blowback of ignorance and idiocy <laughs> on, on social media. So don't worry about the fact that I mean, my God, I mean, you 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 should. There should be a Nobel Prize 
uh, for this. Um, I regret I regret not learning Spanish. It was dumb of me. Um, I, I I didn't think I guess as a as a as a kid or a teenager or a student. You know, I, I didn't put two and two together on the soccer and the Spanish thing, which I know sounds dumb, but I just didn't. Um, growing up in in the D.C. suburbs and and playing and coaching, it just didn't. I don't know. Like, I, I now I regret it, and I've regretted it so many times when I've gone to places, um, you know, South America, Spain, Mexico. You know, where 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 I've had the opportunity to engage a bit more, and I haven't. So so props to you uh, for doing that. It's very cool. Well, I've been really enjoying it. Every week I meet up with a guy named Mariano, who is an assistant to the CEO at Univision here in New York. Guy in his 20s from Argentina. He's been going to business school here in New York. And what's cool is we just talk in Spanish about soccer stuff. And, you know, I get out of it working on my Spanish. He gets out of it. He asks me questions to learn about the U.S. soccer landscape because he wants to learn more about it and why it's different from the rest of the world and the history and all of that. And so one of the most fun things over the last year or so has actually been meeting up with Mariana regularly just to shoot the breeze in Spanish about U.S. soccer, as it were. Very cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, so let's look ahead here to, to 2018. Obviously, this is a World Cup year, Brian. And I'm wondering, are you excited for World Cup 2018 or is the U.S. not being there just such a killer that you're not excited? Um, I want to throw this back to you. It's like I want to know what your feelings are before I answer it because I'm a coward. <laughs> I mean, it's it's hard not to it's hard to separate excitement at, at, from a from a professional perspective, right? Right. From the from the the the, the journalism perspective from the objectivity perspective and then and then there's the you know the american soccer fan person perspective which is a completely different part of my brain you know and 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 latent at times but still there and certainly older than the journalism part um you know i very much want to go uh you know i i uh you know i've always been fascinated by russia uh um you know ever since i was a kid i remember my grandparents going there when it was still the Soviet Union when I was, I don't know, nine or 10 years old. And my grandmother bringing me back souvenirs and pins and things like that. And I just found it fascinating. And, um, we, you know, we grew up in the, you know, the eighties, right. You know, so, so the Soviet Union was still, you know, vast and scary and opaque and, and, and there's something about their culture and their history and their architecture and their music and the, all of it that I, that I find fascinating. And so I, I very much want to go and that's, and that's the case whether the USA is in it or not. Um, but, uh, so, so on that front, yeah, I'm excited and I'm excited by, um, all of the other possible permutations and stories and personalities and teams and all the things that will make a world cup memorable. I mean, we, we remember, U.S. runs in past World Cups because that's the team we've covered or rooted for. That's our country. But when you look at tournaments overall, when you look at what what are the what are the most memorable games and players and moments of, of the World Cups in our lifetime? You know, Americans don't come up that much. You know, we we, re, we remember the we remember the final or the or the big knockout round games or the big the big players. Uh, the you know the the, the stars who who were unveiled. Um, you know, that's the stuff that pops to mind when you think of a given World Cup. And that stuff will still happen this summer. Um, and so I'm looking forward to that. 
And, and, and if I do get to go, I'm looking forward to the challenge of, of, of writing about those things without having the U.S. as a crutch. You know, I'm not writing about Josie Altidore's hamstring every day. So I, I can, you know, branch out and take some risks and take some chances and see what happens. And, and, and so I'm looking forward to that. Uh, uh, but yeah, it's their hand, it sucks, right? I mean, it, it's a brutal blow for American soccer and, and all of the buildup and excitement and, and domestic hype that we would have gotten that would have helped the sport and helped Sports Illustrated and, and all those kinds of things is, is gone. And that's all, that's all obvious. I mean, you, no one needs me to tell them that. Yeah, I mean, I've come to grips with the fact that the U.S. isn't going to be at the World Cup. Uh, this isn't a new development. It happened in October. And I'm still excited about going to Russia and covering the World Cup there. Uh, I think the World Cup is the greatest sporting event in the world. It's even better than the Olympics, which I also love. And, you know, personally, it's every World Cup uh, for me, and I think you and I might have talked about this in the past, it almost feels like you split up your life into these four-year stretches. And yes, I think I like to define myself outside of my work life as well, but it is kind of this four-year cycle that, for me, marks an end of that four-year cycle, and then you start a, four, a new four-year cycle. And there's so much else that is going on in, in soccer these days, which is great as the sport grows in America, but I'm pretty fired up to be in Russia for a month, more than a month, in the same way that it, you know, we had a, a really good experience in Brazil that wasn't entirely tied to the United States team being there. Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, you get you, we get your we get your four games, right? I mean, that's what the U.S. has averaged to World Cups, um, and that's uh, that's four games. Um, but you know, there's how many sixty four games at a World Cup, right? right? So, right. So, so you know, there's sixty others, and and all of the stories and narratives and players and fan bases and 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 you know hopes kindled and dashed and, and all, all kinds of stuff that goes on. And, and I found in Brazil, uh, I, I, I remember having trouble making the transition. I mean, once, once, once the U S was knocked out, um, we got back from Salvador we got back to Rio. I had been, I had been essentially, you know, writing about the U S every day, every single day, a new U S story of some kind. Right. Uh, and, to make the transition from that, you know, from from you know Sao Paulo roundtables with Jermaine Jones and Kyle Beckerman, and I know there were other players who spoke to us during the World Cup, but it felt like they were there every day, didn't it? <laughs> yeah, didn't no, it? it totally did. Those guys were the I stars felt, of the World Cup media. I felt right. I felt like for somehow Jermaine and and Beckerman became like the voices of that World Cup. I, I, I picture them constantly. But anyway. Um, that's, that's, I need, I need therapy. That's my problem. Ah. Um, but, uh, I had trouble making that transition, right? It took me a few days to, to like get off the U S beat and sort of think, Oh, what else is happening at this world cup? What are, you know, what are the other trends who's still around, you know? Um, and by the time I kind of got my feet under me, it's all like all of a sudden the quarterfinals had happened, you know, and right. it just takes it. I was a little discombobulated. So, so uh, hoping I get to go. Uh, hoping I'm there and, and, and then, you know, not, not having to make that transition, getting to spend time before the world cup, getting to know the other teams, get, you know, starting to build bridges with some other, other organizations and, and coaches and players and things like that. And, 
and you know having my feet under me on that front from from the start rather than having to make that really quick brutal transition sort of between the round of 16 and the semifinals which which was hard for me in brazil admittedly um so uh and also i mean th- this is this is a bit insider-ish but not having the u.s there is going to make the logistics for this world cup really interesting i mean when the when the national team i've only, i've obviously i've covered two world cups obviously with the u.s both times and, you know, and so having that structure, having the media hotel that 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 the U.S. soccer helps find for everybody and have in and then they provide the, the bus from that hotel to uh, to training. We you know? pay for all that stuff, by the way, just for, yeah, for listeners. Right. Yes. We, we pay for all that stuff. It's not cheap, um, but it's convenient. I mean, it, and so in, in South Africa, I didn't stay at the U.S. media hotel, but I would wake up every morning at my hotel, take a taxi to the media hotel and then go with you guys to the training camp in Irene. And then in, in, in Sao Paulo, I did stay at the media hotel. You and I both did. Um, and uh, not and, and so none of that stuff's going to be sort of worked out for us this time. Um, so you're being on your own at a world cup and trying to sort of talk your way into training and trying to figure out how to get from place to place. That's going to be a, 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 another challenge sort of laid on top of, of this one already sort of without the, the U S narrative and Russia's also, holy shit. It's huge. Like, <laughs> Oh my God. Like, like there's only two, I think there's, I'd have to look at the map again, but I think there's only two, other venues and if you're based in moscow there's only two other venues that are even like a day's train ride away where it's like you know you could have lunch in moscow and have dinner in in the other or maybe breakfast in moscow and have dinner in either either st petersburg or, or nizhny novgorod i think i think that's it it's enormous and so i don't know how anyone's gonna do it are Russian gonna... trains better than Amtrak? Are Russian trains how are they in comparison to like French trains? I mean, I have no idea. I, I I mean, I imagine everything's better than Amtrak, but I also imagine everything in Russia is about to fall apart. <laughs> and I'm sure those are both mean, horrible stereotypes that I'm gonna get hate mail for saying. Um But right, I mean everything in Russia this is all based on movies, and everything in Russia is uh you know that scene in the Last Jedi where where they're uh, where they they have the the speeders at the end and Poe puts his foot down and the whole bottom of the little speeder he's in falls out. I, think. I, I imagine that being either a Russian or an Amtrak train. Take your pick. <laughs> but but in case in case any of our bosses are listening to this, they can't be listening to this. I'd be out of a job already. <laughs> if they were. But if they're listening to this. I, I will do this. I have no – I have literally nothing to lose. I have no pride and I have no standards and no expectations. And I will I will ride a Russian train overnight into the steppes uh, to cover to cover like a, like a, you know, Saudi Arabia in the World Cup. I will do this. I will sit in the back of the train with the goats. <laughs> Is it possible to expense that? I don't know, but I do not. I do not need to go first class. This is this is all I'm saying. So if you're if you're listening, uh, Time Inc. Overlord or Better Homes and Gardens Overlord, if you're listening, <laughs> Koch Brothers, <laughs> I will I, I will rough it in Russia for the opportunity to to be there. It's not a problem. I look forward to excavating the audio from what you just said 
during the World Cup itself so we can re-air it because we are planning to do a daily podcast during the World Cup, uh, which I am greatly looking forward to. As Do you think people want to hear our our because I know that people don't like to hear reporters complain about travel. Like, this is a bat, right? Because you do this and they're like, well, at least you get to go. You, right. That's your job to be there. Shut up. And I understand that completely. I sent one tweet out in Brazil, I think, about about personal travails. Yeah. And something along the lines of having – and this is true. I had I had three hotel rooms, three different hotel rooms flood for three <laughs> entirely different reasons. <laughs> And I just thought that was kind of interesting. And, and, and I tweeted it and I was immediately like for like the next five minutes, I was the world's biggest asshole for, for <laughs> tweet. And it wasn't, I wasn't trying to get people to, to feel sorry for myself. I just kind of, for me, I just thought it was funny that I had three, three different hotel room floods for three different, one was an air conditioner that exploded. One was the shower wasn't sealed. And one, it was when it was pouring in in Recife and and my w- the window didn't close all the way and right. you know I got flooded out. Well, as long as you record a podcast with me in which you are with the goats and we can hear the goat sounds. So do people want to hear this? That's the thing. Do people want to hear about about like the weird borscht that I'm eating or the wolves that are in my hotel room or 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 you know do people want to hear the kind of the misadventures like like you're going to be in Moscow right yeah. a lot of the time and and. I don't know. You could you could get you could have some kind of misadventure. You could get attacked. You know, most of these don't sound like fun stories, though. (laughs) That sounds like a terrible story. But but that's but but that's what think about what happened to Abnos in Rio, right? I mean, quick background: uh, Alex Abnos, uh, former Sports Illustrated guy who was in Brazil at the World Cup in 2014, got mugged and got his uh, I think his laptop stolen, right? Gunpoint, mugged at gunpoint. Yeah, and so it's like. Stuff happens. I don't know. That's just part of it. And and I don't know if people want to because because that's another thing is without the U.S. without the U.S. there, we could sort of here's what a World Cup's like, right? All of a sudden, we're passengers rather than participants in a way. You're almost observing, right? Your team's not there. You're not covering the day to day. You know, can Michael and Jermaine play together? You know, oh my God, what what's Jurgen thinking now? You know, I'm not writing those stories. Um, so. There's an opportunity to to go bigger picture, to go cultural, to write about experiences. You know, I mean, do people want to read about, like, I don't know, wacky food and, you know, I don't know, crazy people ranting at you on the street and, and you know, strange travel situations and whatever. I don't know. Um, so I guess we'll find that out. I guess, I guess I'll send a tweet about the wolf in my hotel room and we'll see how much people hate me for it. <laughs> Hey, this is Jim Miller, host of the podcast series Origins with James Andrew Miller. Our new chapter is a deep dive into the world of ESPN. Episode one looked at the troubled marriage between ESPN and social media. And dropping January 3rd is episode two, the insider's look at how Pardon the Interruption made its way onto ESPN and its storied ride ever since. You'll hear in-depth interviews with Tony Kornheiser, Michael Wilbon, and the entire PTI crew as well as key figures behind the scenes at ESPN who helped make this trailblazing show a reality. When he got to the crux of it, two guys talking about sports who disagree a lot, I thought, okay, I don't get any of this other stuff, but I get that. You know, we're going to do a show. And I go, what are you talking about? And he says, no, we're going to do a show for ESPN. I said, what are you talking about? Why do you think that this is going to happen? No one has talked to me. Don't miss Origins with James Andrew Miller on ESPN's Pardon the Interruption. 
Available on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you download your podcasts. Moving on, I want to talk about an actual story that we collaborated on at the end of the year that got a little bit of attention. It is connected to a a dinner uh, at a restaurant here in New York, where I live, in which Kathy Carter, the U.S. soccer presidential candidate, was there, as were the top members of the state associations of Eastern New York and New Jersey, and also Sunil Gulati, the outgoing U.S. soccer president, and Don Garver, the MLS commissioner, stops by as well. And then I had one of the weirdest interviews I had had maybe all year uh, with Sal Rapaglia, the 76-year-old head of the Eastern New York Association. They are going to be influential voters uh, in the presidential election. And Sal has been running the Eastern New York Association for over three decades. Definitely been around for a while. And this story first came together when you texted me that you got a tip that this dinner had taken place with these folks involved. Uh, My response to you initially was, I'm on vacation, which I was. And then I got another tip from a, a different person And then we sort of said, you know, maybe we should look into this story. And so I don't typically do any work on vacation, but I had a two-day stretch where I actually had to come off vacation anyway to go do this thing, interviewing Christian Pulisic down in Florida, which is a completely different story. But I ended up interviewing Sal Rapaglia for half an hour, and he filled me in on this dinner from his perspective and how... Basically, the gist of it was was that he had never seen Kathy Carter before, and then two days later, he announced he was endorsing her, as was if the Eastern New York Association, as was New Jersey. And it was clear from what Sal was saying that he was doing this because he was under the very clear impression that Sunil Gulati and Don Garber, the two most powerful people in American soccer, were supporting Kathy Carter. They happened to be at this event. Sal also did not refer to Kathy Carter once by name and 14 times called her, quote, the girl. <laughs> so what do we make of all this? We, we, we give Sal a TV show is what we do. <laughs> I feel like I should have a special podcast with the audio of my 30-minute long Sal Rapaglia interview. I think people would listen. I think that would get more listeners than this does. <laughs> so... The headline on the story was connected to Garber and Gulati. And I spoke to both of those guys and got a response from both of them. I got a response from Kathy Carter as well, because we do good journalism here at Sports Illustrated and give everyone an opportunity to respond to stuff. But the headline was pretty straightforward. It said, contrary to what Gulati and Garber have been saying publicly, that they are Voters are saying that they are lobbying. Sour Paglia said this, lobbying for Kathy Carter. Not a surprise. <laughs> the thing is, is that I, I don't. Well, there, there's a couple things. First, in terms of the journalism, I, I I do wish more people understood sort of the rules about what we can print and what we can't depending on what's on and off record, what's confirmed and what isn't, what's rumor and what's not. I I, I feel too often 
people people want us to go with with anonymous accusation and rumor and that's just not how it works and people you shouldn't want it to work that way you, you you should want things to be published only if they've been verified only if they've been confirmed only if they're true um and 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 the the amount of the amount of sort of blowback this this story got um from people who wanted us to to demanded forgive me uh, that that we we go deeper, that we we print more, that you know that we get even more of the controversy out there. It's like it doesn't work that way. You have to have it, you know. You have to have it reliably confirmed on the record. That's how that's how this works. Well, I would also say, I mean, like that to me was a very small audience echo chamber on Twitter, as is so often the case with Twitter. I thought the 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 general response was, this is a very interesting and revealing story. That's my sense. I, 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 maybe I'm, maybe because, maybe because my life's such a tire fire, I focus <laughs> on the, the negative. Um, that's fair. But um, no, no, it was a worthwhile story. And it was a worthwhile story because I don't know that there's anything intrinsically wrong. It doesn't look great. But but there's nothing necessarily intrinsically wrong with with people involved in American soccer having dinner and discussing the election. Um, the issue is 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 Garber and and Gulati's proclamations that they haven't been doing that right right uh, and 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 how this dinner and the conversations that went on there uh, seem to run contrary uh, to those public statements and so I think that's important. And I guess the second issue, which again, maybe this is a bit too insider, but did did Sal's sort of like did his kind of Archie Bunker kind of <laughs> shtick? Did that like I mean, you did the interview, so I, I I wasn't obviously listening in, but I'm like, are you, when you're sitting there and you're listening to this guy, are you kind of thinking like, holy shit, like like this isn't this isn't really germane to you know, whether or not Garber and Gulati are being completely straightforward about their intentions for this election, but he keeps saying this outrageous stuff. And I gotta, I gotta include this. Like, this is right. crazy. I mean, and, and does it take away? I mean, you gotta do it, but does it take away? Like, like, I think more people were, were, were commenting about Sal and then, and then the Eastern New York Twitter meltdown that followed <laughs> than they were talking about, what the story was really about, which was to what extent are are the president of U.S. Soccer and the MLS commissioner trying to uh, engineer the election of Kathy Carter? I mean, that's that's the original intention of the piece. So that was an interesting dynamic that occurred there. I wonder if Sal sort of hijacked uh, the story uh, with some of his wackiness. Yeah, I mean, I mean, what I would say, one thing I love about journalism is you never know where a story might take you, and that was especially the case here. And I do think there's a reason that the headline was about Garber and Gulati, but the Sal Paglia performance was of a nature that it really re- is a great word <laughs> that it revealed to me like these are the voters, man, and these are not just the voters; these are influential voters uh, who are deemed important enough for Carter, Gulati, and Garber to have a, a dinner with them. And then the further meltdown, as you mentioned, of the Eastern New York. Twitter account where they went after me and Gabriel Marcotti, and then they threatened somebody that they'll sleep with the fishes. And then 
they disappeared from Twitter and then they come back and said they were hacked, which is a wonderful excuse. This story kind of had it all in a sense in terms of the election. It was a good way to end 2017. <laughs> it was a, right as an appropriate way to end, you know, this dumpster fire of the year. Um, you know, it, it's obviously this is going to be something people are talking about, you know, between now and the election in February and, and, um, and, and all of the kind I mean, the, 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 the nature of this position being unpaid and, and the nature of the political divisions within the Federation, you know, the, you know, us soccer people like to remind us that it's a membership organization, you know, implying and meaning that the, ultimately the members are responsible for the governance. But the issue is, is that you have members with such diametrically opposing uh, ambitions and needs. Um, you know, a, a youth soccer team uh, has a very different set of, you know, set of needs than a than a than a MLS team does, right? And 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 on and on and and so, you know, trying to find some consensus or agreement within that group and dealing with those politics, um, and then dealing with the fact that the position is unpaid, and so wondering where are these candidates, you know, you know, someone like I'm sure Kathy Carter was well paid by some, you know, maybe she can afford not to work. Um, you know, there are others who, who maybe have a, have a job, you know, Steve Gans and Michael Winograd are, are attorneys, right? And so yeah. perhaps can continue to practice, uh, law while, while serving as president, just like Sunil Gulati continued to teach economics at Columbia. Um, but then you got a couple guys who are in TV, you know, uh, I don't know what Eric Winalda makes at Fox, you know, can he afford not to work for four years? You know, he was in Dubai uh, recently at this Globe Soccer Awards thing. You know, just do, who paid for that? Um, on and on and on. You could you could do this all day. So I do think uh, that that was interesting, though, your point about Winalda, who appeared at as you follow if you followed his Twitter feed, you saw it. He was in Dubai at this uh, soccer event where you also had Diego Simeone and the FIFA president, Johnny Infantino speaking. And here's Eric Winalda a featured speaker on best practices in pro leagues. And then you find out that the owner of the conference, the majority owner is Ricardo Silva, the owner of Miami FC, among other things, who, who was, who was part of a, a court of arbitration for sport case filed against us soccer. Well, who keeps having these publicity stunts to try and put promotion and relegation front and center uh, in, in the U S and here's what you could potentially call another one. And here's his guy, Eric Winalda. What I would say about that is I fully expect that that was a, that all the people who spoke at that event, as is the case in events like this, had their, their travel covered. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. Right. And there's nothing wrong. And there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with any of it. There's nothing wrong necessarily, like I said, with, with Garber and Gulati. And Carter having dinner, right? I mean, there's nothing right. wrong with any of this. It's just I think people are desperate for some kind of transparency and some kind of uh, I don't maybe they'll know it when they see it. I don't know. It's it already seems like there are different rules for different people, um, and uh, it'll just be it'll be fascinating to see uh, what happens in February, and it'll be fascinating to see um, what the eventual uh, president. What, what they're able to do with the job, right? I mean, I think there are a lot of people 
who want to see, um, you know, I, I did an interview with Carlos Cordero, another candidate, and Carl, a huge chunk of Carlos's platform is limiting the power of the president. He's almost he's almost running for uh, he's almost running based upon reducing the influence of the job he's running for. Um, this is a big part of what he wants because he thinks it's a governance issue. Um, now, if he if he wins and he gets there, does he feel the same? You know, do the rules still apply? Do, do any of these people uh, are are any of these able to people to, able to shape the office and the influence and the power of that office uh, differently? Uh, perhaps uh, more humbly than Sunil was able to. Um, I, I think all of that stuff's fascinating. Uh, and obviously that feeds into um, the, the technical structure of the Federation. This is what I think most people care about is, you know, how do we uh, hire and fire and appoint and recruit uh, Federation technical staffs and national team coaches? I mean, ultimately, uh, perhaps that's the most important thing U.S. soccer does. Um, and, and it would be nice to hear the candidates talk about how that's going to happen under their, uh, under their leadership. Well, and what we're hearing is the, that the U S soccer board of directors is our members are already pursuing the possibility of a general manager, either one general manager who would report to the CEO, not the president and head up right. the technical side, or maybe two general managers, one for the men's side, one for the women's yeah, side. Yeah, that was Cordero's, yeah, when I spoke to Cordero, that was his pitch, was, uh, oh, you know, let, let's let's acknowledge the importance of the women's program and let's give them their own sort of technical leader. And yeah, and both of those people would report to the CEO, whether that's Dan Flynn or his successor, um, and, uh, and, and put in more uh, fail-safes um, and look, I mean, let's be honest, this is about avoiding another, another Jurgen Klinsmann situation. Right. And, and so, um, you know, what, what, what can, what can the Federation do to ensure that there are more, there's more input, um, and, and more, uh, you know, um, checks put in place, uh, to make sure that that kind of investment in money and time, uh, you know, isn't made again, um, to the point where, you know, we're oh and two in the hex and, and backs up against the wall qualifying for a world cup. Just to wrap up here, I want to talk about this open U.S. men's national team coaching position. And obviously, who ends up winning the U.S. soccer presidential election will have an influence on uh, what coach ends up being hired. Who would you like to see be hired as the U.S. men's national team coach? And do you want that decision to wait until after the World Cup? I mean, like like Pep, right? (laughs) Actually, no. No, no, I don't want Pep Guardiola to be the U.S. coach. He'd just be upset the whole time because he wouldn't have enough players who could play the way he wanted to play. But aren't you fascinated? I would be just as fascinated to see Pep forced into that situation. I mean, from a laboratory Petri dish perspective, sure. Yeah, that's a yeah, well said. Yeah, um, yes, absolutely. The the the. I don't think there's any question that appointing a coach um, before the end of the summer would be irresponsible. Um, unless it is Pep, in which case, by all, means. um, he's got an apartment in New York already. Like we're good. You, you, right. Didn't you like, you saw him at a bar. Like he's, he's coming. It's inevitable. Um, but, uh, yes, it should wait. It should wait till we find out who's available after the world cup, who's available after the European season. Um, and the coach should be someone who. I have I have a I have a description in mind, not necessarily a person. Okay. Um, but but 
where the U.S. failed in this in this hex, and and I am not someone who thinks it was a player development issue. Um, player development is why the U.S. isn't isn't a, a World Cup semifinalist. You know, mm-hmm. uh, player development is why uh, you know the United States, uh, the the men the men's national team isn't a threat to win World Cups. That's a player development question. It's not a player beating Trinidad is not a player development issue. Correct. It's, you know, the, the U.S. Has, the U.S. has beaten Trinidad uh, routinely for years. We we have the players to beat Trinidad. Um, what the, the the problem with this hex was a management issue. Uh, was a, was a, a lack of a tactical foundation. Was a lack of any sort of team cohesion or identity. Um, baffling and mind boggling player selections. Um, and and just incredible arrogance from 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 the people managing the team, both Jurgen and Bruce. This was a management failure, and. I would like to see a coach hired who is a true, uh, you know, game and team manager, a, a, a dressing room and game day manager. We do not, we do not need a player development guru. That should be elsewhere in the federation. Uh, there should be people set up for that. Again, if you go the GM route, if you go the technical director route, if you have other people, soccer people involved on the board and in executive positions at U.S. soccer who can oversee long-term issues, player development, the academy, pro league structure, all that kind of thing. The U- the national team coach should be about putting together 23, 18, 11 players for a three-day camp and a couple of qualifiers or a tournament that have a tactical foundation and an understanding and a chemistry that enables them to compete and win on the day. That is the national team coach's job. And so you would like to see someone well-versed in those things. And if that person is foreign, if that person is, a, is an experienced uh, Latin American or European coach, great. I don't think it matters where they're from if they have that ability and, and, and experience and dexterity to do those things. So I want a game day coach. I want a coach who understands team chemistry, tactical foundation, when players get into camp, we heard this over and over when Jurgen was coach. When players get into camp, they want to have a sense of what's expected of them. They want to have a sense of how the team's going to play, of what it's going to look like, of what the patterns and partnerships are. They don't want to feel like they're starting from scratch every single time. And so you need a coach who who is good at that superficial stuff. Um, and, and that's what I hope they look for. Well, that settles it. My choice for U.S. soccer president is Brian Strauss. Uh, I need the money. <laughs> can't afford can't afford to what you know look i every time i write a story and i get one of my my time ink pellets my my time ink food pellets that comes 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 back i, I need that i agree with what you're saying uh, i've already predicted that juan carlos osorio will get the job uh that's partly out of i hope he gets the job uh, I think he'll probably get Mexico to the second round of the World Cup where they'll lose to Brazil but look good doing it, and the Mexican media will still drum him out. I think he has a lot of the qualifications that fit what you're talking about. I'm intrigued by Tata Martino, who I think has uh, a lot of experience that could be very helpful and has had a positive experience so far in the United States and has learned a lot. I'm also intrigued in a different way by Marcelo Bielsa, who recently lost his job at Lille and is now on the market. I, I, I love the idea of Bielsa, but I actually see what he's done the last few years, and I think it might be the most insane thing ever to hire him. <laughs> 
we, I would like to see, and, and this isn't necessarily a, a commentary, although Osorio is a, a great communicator. and This isn't necessarily a commentary on Martino. I don't think U.S. soccer will ever be able to outbid Arthur Blank for Martino. So it would have to be, Arthur Blank would have to be willing to let him go. That would be a crazy story, though. Jurgen uh, was making like three, $3 million a year, wasn't he? U.S. soccer can totally afford Martino. I don't know. Arthur Blank's really rich, man. <laughs> That'd be hilarious. He's really rich um, and ambitious. And he likes he, – he's really rich and he likes spending money on sports. But, uh, I mean, look what Atlanta's done already, right? I mean, it's – it's and, and they may just be scratching the surface. Is your, is your, sorry, are your eggs ready? What, what is this? I keep getting texts about the New York Red Bulls kit unveiling. Okay. We'll save that for next week. But you also yes. quite understand the term vibrate. But uh, it's, my, it's my laptop. Anyway, I'm sorry. Oh, wow. Or the New York Red Bulls apologize profusely <laughs> for the interruption. <laughs> the, uh, I would like to see someone who was – and again, maybe this is unique to American soccer. This is unique to the, to the climate and the, and, the, and, the, and the trends and where we are as a, as a soccer country. But I would like to have a coach who not only can do all the aforementioned things, um, who understands uh, tactical continuity – and cohesion and 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 sort of building a structure, but someone who can then explain that. I I I, I you know Jurgen's Jurgen's blaming everybody else. Um, Bruce rolls his eyes and 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 gives you some pithy answer that's not an answer. Um, neither of them were were willing to or able to uh, communicate and talk about their strategy, the path they wanted to, I mean, you know, it, it was all grand pronouncements from Jurgen and, and sort of, you know, blow offs from, from, from Bruce. And I think it has to be better. I think, I think the U S national team coach is such a figurehead in this country is such an important role that they need to be able and willing to be able to have these conversations with, with fans, with media, with anyone who asks to sort of, you know, don't, you don't need to, you don't need to like reveal your game plan before the game, but afterwards, if not post game, then in the in the ensuing days or weeks, talk to people about what you're thinking, about what you're deciding, about where you're trying to take the team. Um, give people some credit. Americans understand the game, and and turn the national team coach position into something, uh, you know, mentorship, teaching, leadership. You know, for for all of the times when, when that that players tell us in mix zones that uh, you know the public doesn't understand the public doesn't understand the the fine points the nuances i mean this is what your book's about right well if 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 the public doesn't understand then maybe take 3 minutes to try to explain it yeah. maybe br- maybe try to bring us along uh, and 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 give us a sense of what you're doing that that communication has been sorely lacking and again that's because of arrogance that's because of the arrogance of Jurgen and Bruce um and and i think the next coach whoever it is needs to do better with them I totally agree on all that stuff. We are at the end of our podcast, Brian. I've enjoyed it. I'm looking forward to more of these in 2018. Thanks for joining me. Thanks, man. Thanks for listening to the Planet Football Podcast. I'd like to thank Brian Strauss as well as everyone at Cadence 13 and Sports Illustrated who supports this podcast. Please, if you like the pod, do us a big favor. Take a few seconds to like it and write a review on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get this podcast. You'd be surprised how much it helps us. And check out the new 30-minute Planet Football video show hosted by me and Luis Miguel Echegaray on SITV. 
That's available on Amazon with a free seven-day trial now. Recent guests include Roberta Martinez, Patrick Vieira, Stuart Holden, Hercules Gomez, and Gwendolyn Oxenham. See you next time. Do you know about the Locked On Podcast Network? The number one daily sports podcast network. Locked On has a daily podcast on every NBA and NFL team, plus a growing lineup of college and MLB teams. You get a daily bite-sized podcast giving you the latest on your team from the local experts. Lakers fans, search Locked On Lakers. Cowboys fans, search Locked On Cowboys. Just search Locked On, your favorite team, on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts, or tell your smart speaker to play podcast Locked On, your favorite team. Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.